We have to grasp that the biosphere is an absolute boundary that limits our behaviour. Then you say, okay, well, how do you get that biosphere imperative to made real in the practical functioning of humans? Put it into every constitution. Having got that in, then that's when change starts to happen, when action starts to happen. Hello, and welcome to the second series of the Hidden Power podcast called Pre-Flight Checklist. It's a useful analogy which we are using to think about getting the best out of our little lives on Spaceship Earth, using something that profoundly impacts our lives, but none of us ever really see, a constitution. In this series, we explore one by one each of the 26 principles that would govern a pleasant life through and at the far side of the current climate emergency. I'm Philip Tottenham, and my co-presenter is the author of these principles, Ed Straw. Principle number 16. The purpose of government is to produce beneficial change. It seems so simple, doesn't it? And yet, at the same time, I feel there are so many questions that it throws up. Firstly, on the question of purpose. Do we actually need government? This is the thing. You know, we were talking before, and I, this, this term evolved anarchy landed on my consciousness. And I thought, you know, actually, that was what government is. It's just that somebody powerful got into government, somebody reacted to that power, created a different government. And, you know, so many centuries later, here we are. This comes back to Hobbes, the idea that in order to run a substantially sized society, you need a sovereign. Mm. And in the old days, the sovereign was the king or the Mm. queen. So there we have this person who can take all decisions and all the rest of it. And then people, well, what about a bit of democracy? And, And the barons got stuck in with Magna Carta and said, well, you know, hang on. Uh, King, you're getting all this money from us, and I'm afraid there's a quid pro quo here. So we want some power. Mm. I think people forget that Magna Carta was actually about giving power to the barons, rather um, than the which people. Was an improvement yeah. on. Also, Hobbes was notoriously this. pessimistic. You know, he had this uh, this idea that human life was nasty, brutish, and short, and that people basically need to be constrained. Whereas I think later. Theorists like uh, Adam Smith, for example, had a more positive view of human nature, that people's better natures could be employed in the service of a better governed society. Hobbes, I think, is used as an excuse often Mm. for centralised power. So people morph from the notion of the sovereign as the king through to parliamentary sovereignty, which I think we've discussed before anyway. But we're sort of talking about authoritarianism, aren't we? We're talking about a, a, a fundamentally authoritarian view of government. As you say, then others have understood that actually the way in which government can be constructed and run ought to be democratic and ought to be useful. Mm. (laughs) Well, yes, exactly. It ought to be beneficial in some way. Yeah. So we're talking about the purpose of government. And then there's this word of producing beneficial change. I struggle with that slightly because I was thinking, well, that implies that the government is a separate Mm. entity to the people being governed. And in fact, that that is true in many ways at the moment. 
And I think a lot of times the government is procuring what they hope will be beneficial change. You know, your challenge saying, what is it? produce I think is a good challenge because one of the things in the book is that you know using the metaphor of orchestrate for government where here we are we're going to now perform government with this orchestra what you're saying well the orchestra must by definition include us yes Uh, so much of where government goes wrong is that it does things to us it does them rather cat-handedly and leaden-footedly and then they don't work terribly well and then we spend a lot of time sort of working our way around them. I mean, be it as citizens or people working the public sector or indeed in, in uh, companies and so on. So the notion orchestrate or co-produce, mm. uh, facilitate, and indeed, you know, you've written down here, inspire. And I think you're absolutely right that we need to reconceptualise just what that role is. I think... Well, there's an element of leadership, surely. You know, I mean, there are the visionary leaders, such as the Thatchers and Blairs, that have had a a kind of an idea of what the future should look like and have brought people with them who, who believe in their vision, however you may agree or disagree. And then you have the people like say, John Major, who seemed to have great integrity and be a a good steward. And in a way, you know, I I do get the impression in systems thinking that there's a step away from excessive vision and excessive leadership as glory hunting, and this element Mm. of stewardship and just avoiding disaster, avoiding disastrous interventions in particular, and keeping everything on an even keel is, is really quite an important element of what we want from a government. Leadership is much overplayed that we're all waiting for this great leader that's going to Mm. come down from heaven and lead us out of the wilderness and to wonderful future, which is obviously a myth that's deeply held within us. And so often that's not what you need. And I've argued elsewhere that, for example, someone like Thatcher, and you might well say that, well, she was entirely necessary, country in a mess, unions fighting business, public sector needed a good kicking, business needed a good kicking indeed. I can see that argument. But if we'd actually had government as stewardship, government with far less politics in it, far more systems thinking in it, far more focused on working with and through us, the people, in Mm. order to make change, then actually Thatcher wouldn't have been necessary. The electoral system as well, the adversarial electoral system, which mirrored the class system, which mirrored the unions versus management and all of the... Which um, I suppose serves in a way to disenfranchise people in itself. The sort of the fact that this is a spectator sport rather than a participatory activity, fundamentally disenfranchising, and therefore serves existing somewhat hidden power structures. To coin a phrase, yeah, delighted they are that mayhem and chaos reigns mm. on the ground because there you are, you need us. And now I was reading the other day an explanation as to why Johnson still retains a fair amount of popularity. Mm. And the argument was that what he does is to tell stories. Mm. So he tells us, the people, about, you know, global Britain and Mm. Great Britain and 
world-leading apps and, you know, so on and so forth. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, living in Britain comes with huge advantages that are famous throughout the world and have drawn people to to Britain to live for many, many centuries, but certainly decades. And I think that the notion that Britain somehow needs to prop itself up, it's not wrong because there are serious problems but it's not right either. And I think it's kind of a useful thing for someone like Boris Johnson to kind of keep the the feel-good factor going. I'm thinking about this, these differing ideas of what is beneficial, because it's interesting to me, if you meet Mm. someone who is a strong supporter of Boris Johnson, you can say what you like about lies and so on, but there's this sort of feeling that people have that he's a good guy. It's That's astounding to me, but he's just, he's a good sort of guy. I've heard this a few times. And those people are impervious I mean, to, to, to thinking that he's a bad guy, as it were. It's a bit like Farage, you know, he drinks a pint of beer mm. and he smokes. And so he's a real person. And I think in that sense, Johnson portrays or seeks to portray that image, mm. means that people will say he's a good guy. Unfortunately, the purpose of government is not to have a prime minister who's a good guy. The purpose of government goes a bit beyond, I think, having good guys. But it's, it is, firstly, it is something that seems sufficiently subjective is to be worth discussing. And secondly, but, I think there are probably a lot of people who are voting who want to feel good about their leader and don't really think much more about it than that. And if we're living in a democracy where people are thinking that, that's a sort of strange position to be in, isn't it? If you voted for him and said, yep, this is, you know, I'm going to have that person rather than this person, then uh, you don't want to find out that you're wrong too quickly. Mm -hmm. It's only a year and a half since he was elected. So it's a bit too soon for people to say, well, is this really what we want Mm. out of government? Yeah, to see see clear evidence. We need to focus on our subject matter, the purpose of government being to produce beneficial change. And we've already Mm. passed by some arenas where a lack of clarity on this point has been quite apparent. If you took a poll, what's the purpose of government, then I think one would get a great range of views as to you know, why, why are we electing a government? What for? What's the purpose? A lot of people don't think about purpose. Mm. And, and indeed, when MPs get into the House, often they're not thinking about purpose. I mean, there may be an agenda. Rarely are they thinking about purpose. You know, why are they here? Mm. And I think this, I mean, it's the same with anything. And unless you're clear on purpose, unless you're clear on what's the point of doing this what's the point of this institution what's the point of this law and if you're clear about that then you end up with all of this lack of clarity but also mud as a potential Mm -hmm. output and therefore we produce this principle and i mean whether you know beneficial change is quite right i mean as you as you said you know stewardship avoiding disaster i guess beneficial change would cover that the purpose of government is definitely not to make things worse for people. Um, so we can get to beneficial change, I think, by just eliminating the things we don't want. And I think yes. it's, it's obviously a good enough, you know, in a way, what we want is good enough definitions that will just sort of sweep out the less desirable outcomes. 
but I think you're right. I mean, uh, the you know beneficial change. There may be there may be some other words. Anyway, if if people listening have ideas on that front, it would be really good if they noted them in the uh, response. Please do email us at the Hidden Power Podcast at gmail.com. I was also thinking there's a, a systems thinking element to this, which is less about the positive aspects of bringing people together and engaging the te- tools and techniques of deliberation and more about the analysis of the current system. Since, as you say, without purpose, there are various phenomena that present themselves. And one that really springs to my mind is uh, what Julian Corner mentioned in the last series, where you have institutions privileging their own rules above social care. So their purpose is to, for example, look after vulnerable people or whatever but they are because of the target driven nature of their work Mm. they end up not doing that and trying to protect their jobs (laughs) from not meeting targets and so on continuing on with that theme if you like as to okay you know the reason we're here in this case is the bureaucracy the rules sasha swire wife of hugo swire but with a really incisive pen Mm. She was commenting on, it may have been Michael Gove, mistaking a headline for achievement. Hmm. So many in government these days, so many MPs, you know, what the purpose becomes is serving the 24-hour news agenda, Hmm. having an announceable, having an initiative. Wow, that's very Faustian. It's like that's really feeding the beast. I mean, that's almost a definition of purposelessness, isn't it, To, to... Yeah, absolutely. And, and Cameron, well, she has quite a, a few interesting comments on Cameron that reminds us that he was a PR executive, yes, public course, relations. Yeah. You know, did Cameron ever really have a purpose? I look at Johnson and I think, what's the point of him? Mm. What is his point? You know, why, why is he alive? And I'm not sure he has one beyond personal power. That seems to be a consensus view on on Johnson, that he's been very good at accumulating personal power. Another place that governments go, of course, is ideology. Mm. Um, It's the private sector, it's the market sector, or or indeed it's the public sector or whatever. But what's the point? Mm. What is the purpose of that ideology? Are you just saying, well, if we shove everything into the neoliberal world then somehow that would be better because clearly it's not. It clearly serves the interests of the people who are wealthy, very wealthy, retaining their wealth. You know, so is that what you're about? Is that the limits of your ambition? So ideology, I think, is another rationale. It's the sort of um, fuzzy thinking that arises so much in the ruling elites that we have, the establishments in Britain and particularly in London, Westminster, Whitehall, are they there much more than anything for themselves anymore? Mm. Is, is there anyone out there who has some ambition for change and improvement in the country, but not, not just in terms of sort of headlines and oh, we're into, you know, social justice or into this or into that, but a real grasp of how significant change can be made. Well, how change happens. Again, these are determined by the system to some extent. 
that's you know well ex- exactly you know we've I mean, talked before guess, about how how the how the systems sort of create a certain inward looking mentality where you have your peer group mm-hmm. and then that's who you're beholden to and the voters yes. take a sort of second place which brings me on to a point that came up in conversation before when we were talking about therapy or psychological development. And it's striking to me now that one thing we want, you know, one purpose of government, which seems fairly basic, but it's probably worth mentioning, is that we kind of want people who are mature in their outlook to, to be running the country and be in charge of, for example, nuclear weapons. And when we were talking yeah. about therapy, one thing you mentioned, which really struck a chord, was our purpose with regards to therapy is to break the inheritance. We all get so much from our parents, but we don't want to be driven yeah. and, and limited by that. We want to break the inheritance and make mm. free choices. And it struck me that perhaps governance is you know, not so much a single action or an act, but it's a kind of a habit. Mm. And... In a sense, mm. what we want, if, if that's a good definition of, of maturity, is succeeding in breaking the inheritance and making free choices. One thing we possibly want from governments is to create the habit of breaking the inheritance of, for example, extraction and exploitation that yeah. typically in, in our role as apex predators in humanity fall into. And as you say, to produce beneficial change. I just wondered how you might like to square the psychology with the purpose of government. I think that's a very interesting one. It's these inherited negative traits that we all inherit from our parents, but don't blame your parents because they inherited from their parents and, they, and so their on. parents yeah. inherited from them and so on. And so you end up in a situation where no one's to blame and everyone's at fault. And if you can break those inherited traits, then you're not going to pass them on to your children. And you can lead better lives because you're no longer governed Mm. uh, by these obstacles to your own personal flourishing. And as, as soon as you said that, I mean, what came to mind was that the great advantage that Germany and Japan had after the war, who in effect, long term, were the winners of the Second World War mm. rather than the losers. The great advantage they had was that all of their inheritance in terms of, of course, institutions was, was wiped away in terms of I mean, A, wiped away because uh, they'd lost and now a new constitution was being imposed on them. And secondly, was physically wiped away, which is often so important. You know, we take the House of the Parliament, which is still sinking into the mud and Mm. they still can't get their act together to get out of it. But they want to spend a small fortune on restoring it and repairing it. Actually, the best thing that could happen in terms of governance in this country is that that will either continues to sink into the mud or it becomes a museum. Mm. And this notion that we need to break the inheritance of our institutions, which have come to work in the way in which they work, because that's the way they work, rather than standing back and saying, okay, what is the purpose? I mean, what is the purpose of schools, for Mm. example? What is the purpose of the courts and so on and so forth? But then writ wider, then this inheritance, as you say, of extraction from the natural world and just 
treating it as an infinite resource, mm. which economists uh, simply regard as an externality to the main activities of an economic system. If we don't get away from it ourselves, then the biosphere will certainly take us away from it because it's getting rather fed up with us extracting from it. Uh, and it's uh, responding and reacting with floods and pestilence and fire and so on and so forth. Well, so yes. I, I think that's... But that, 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 that's an interesting point because, you know, the, the, the reacting of the biosphere ideally would be matched by the reacting of governments and people. And this brings us nicely yep. into the potential that governing has to be cybernetic and to respond mm. over time, which, you know, clearly governments do respond in their way. And yet the, the potential is there for a much deeper system that could respond more acutely, also in terms of redefining its purpose over time. The irony on all of this, of course, is that if government had a clear purpose and was effective in delivering that, it would be so much more satisfactory place to work. Mm. Politicians would be applauded. Mm. Um, politicians would be valued. Ministers would be complimented, mm. genuinely complimented for work well done. A cybernetic, absolutely. So can you define democracy by cybernetics? I've been pondering with some other people recently, mm. which... You know, cybernetics, so it's a circular causal chain. So there's action, feedback in terms of that action. There's correction because of that feedback. And then you react, re-act, and then carry on. You know, And just you for, for in, uh, any new sailing. listeners, this is very much on the analogy of, for example, sailing a boat, adjusting the sheets and the rudder to account for changes in wind or yeah. currents. Or also with a yeah. heating system that you have, your thermostat that d reacts to the temperature of your house and then something kicks in to either increase the temperature if it's dropped too low or, or stop increasing the temperature if it's increased too much. And at every level, well, it's self-correcting mm. is the point. So there's a law. Let's get the feedback on that law. Is it working mm. is it effective how much does it cost how much are the hidden costs how, how much are the unintended consequences right so does it work or doesn't it no it doesn't right scrap it and start again you, you or, often say scrap well, it and start again presumably there's also adjusting the law and and not starting again yeah, I, I was about to say you know a, a regulation over something very sensible on construction site mm. safety for example which still continues to be a big problem well how can we adjust the regulations how can we adjust perhaps the culture around those regulations in order to make them more effective. Yeah, so it, it may not be as draconian as that, but I suspect with an awful lot of laws and regulations, it would be scrapping and starting. Well, it's that, interesting, you know, I mean, as you know, uh, some years ago, I worked in property, and one of the things, obviously, we dealt with was contracts. And then as we evolved our contracts, little things would change the way we viewed the contracts. And we came to realise that it was important to use the contract as a point of first response rather than a point of last response and then we'd also tweak the contracts yeah. just to, to make things more clear because all that ended up seeming to matter was that everybody understood where they stood and of course our system is designed almost to do the opposite of that so it's certainly designed 
to have disunity and to set, you know, one group against another. Mm. I mean, here we are, schools uh, started to be reformed. Well, actually, even before then, but um, particularly heavily in the 80s, they're still being reformed. You know? Yes, yeah, well, of course, yeah, we talked about that point, before, didn't we? It's this unending yeah. sort of zigzag of policy change. Whereas if you had a cybernetic approach to that, then you wouldn't be doing that. And indeed, of course, politics would not be around very much because we're looking collectively for how can that work best? You know, mm. how, how do they do it in Finland, for the sake of argument? One thing that's striking me is there's an important purpose for governing is simply to be cybernetic. You could argue that if you just said, well, the purpose of government is to act cybernetically, that would do the job. I think there is benefit in having the words beneficial change or something like that. Well, it's to, an easy to, barometer you know, you... To, to, to kind of test government against. I mean, how, has my life got better? Yeah. Is, is this better or is it worse? That's, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah rather than, you know, did did I see the Prime Minister on television this evening, mm. which is about all it's got to. Just to get back to the point of, of our participation in government, I was thinking, well, what's the, what's the benefit of modelling beneficial change? You know, if governing is something that we're all doing, and I think it is something that we're all doing, it's mm. something that, you know, we something governs our actions, whether it's uh, lust or, you know, or joy, or just, yeah. uh, you know, humdrum kind of robotics. Something does mm. control our actions. And if that is principled and about modeling beneficial change, then what does that look like? And I was thinking about Robert Cialdini. He's the person that a lot of business people will go to on the subject of influence. He wrote this book called Influence. And he was being interviewed about this and being asked, well, if you went back to your 20-year-old self, you know, what would you do to most increase your influence? And he said, I would just serve other people. I would do whatever I could to help other people. Because in the long run, this is the thing that will come back to you in spades. You know, if you really want to be influential, just help everybody. And I thought, well, that's quite a nice yeah. way to think about this co-governing. And also this question of deliberation that, you know, if you're engaged with people around you, it just makes for a better society. And that's my I think that's a really worth. good point. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> it's good tuppence worth. Ah, oh, thank you. Okay, well, would you like to jump ahead to principle 17, also on the question of government? Yeah, so we're working our way through principles for government, as distinct from governing. And number 17, recognise that most decisions by government are political experiments. Ed, as always, thank you. We've made it yet again to the end. Well, thank you, Philip.